Hey everybody, welcome to another Turbulence Training podcast. It's really just another chat with one of my buddies, and, and we're going to catch up with the legendary renegade coach, Jay Ferruja. Jay, welcome to the call. Thanks, Craig. All right, so as I mentioned just before we got on here, this is going out to everybody on the Turbulence Training podcast, so there'll be tens of thousands of people listening, and we just want to catch up with Jay in a nice casual conversation and see what he has learned in 2011. So, Jay, you did uh, Renegade Seminar. You told me uh, quite a few lessons from that, but uh, you've been down in California and you got the gym running back in Jersey. You're still learning a ton of things. So, uh, this year, what were some of the top lessons? Um, a lot of lessons this year, actually. Uh, some of the biggest ones were, and I guess this was mainly due to my personality. I think a lot of the things that we tend to recommend and the, the way we train people is due to our own personalities, our own genetics, what works best for us. Um, and my personality has always been pretty intense. I always liked training super intense, but to the point where it was detrimental, where I would overtrain a lot and I, I suffered a lot of injuries that I shouldn't have, uh, just being stupid, not knowing when to tone it down, and always going 100%, always balls to the wall. Um, and even over the last two years, I've definitely uh, trimmed back on that and, and, and been recommending that a lot. Always, you know, leave a couple reps in the tank, this and that. But I cut it back even more this year, and it, it definitely made it helped uh, my clients and all the members of the Renegade Inner Circle. I feel a lot better, make better progress, um, avoid injuries, stuff like that. You know, when you're always going all out like like I always like to do, uh, things start to break down and eventually you do get the nagging injuries and then you have to, you're forced to take layoffs and, and you're always kind of in that cycle of uh, training's great, then you're hurt, then you're not training, then you're rehabbing and just that, that never-ending cycle. So, so and, and when, when I say I, I toned it down a lot this year, I mean that some of the things were, were uh, weights. I'd say weights above, I used to say weights above 90%, even even weights above 85%, I cut back on more. I do more work with myself and with everyone in the 75 to 85% range and try to avoid doing a ton of stuff at 90% and above. Um, obviously, there's always a time and place for it, and for maximal strength development, it is important. But uh, you do tend to burn out, and you, you do get hurt doing that too much, so kind of limited that, uh, going too close to failure. Again, I really have never advocated that much the last few years, but, you know, there are times when you're competing with friends or whatever when it does get out of control. I've been better uh, able to temper that uh, with myself, and I always hold my clients back, but uh, I, I just see the benefits across the board from doing this kind of stuff. And by making these changes, I've, I've been able to, myself and, and clients, been able to train more frequently, actually, uh, do a little bit more volume, do a little bit more frequency. When in the past, I really limited guys to, to three or four days a week. I actually had some guys that were only able to recover from three days with the old style training, now training four days. Some people are even training five. And, um, you know, I'll even have, I, and I've done stints of this this year, uh, training six days on an upper lower, but the workout's only 30 minutes. But, um, Recovery is just better all around, you know, when you're not frying your nervous system, frying your joints, things like that. So uh, that that was another thing was was uh, I kind of neglected work capacity a little bit because the training was so intense. We had to keep the volume so low, but I think we neglected work capacity a bit uh, by doing that. So now 
you know, there's more of a balance where we're bringing up strength, size, uh, conditioning, and work capacity all together now, and it's working synergistically and um, <clears throat> just getting better results all around. So, um, I mean, those those were those were some of the biggest uh, things that I learned. Um, I'm trying to think what else here, and I, basically, I, I eliminated any 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 risky type exercises as much as I could. So. Uh, and I realize this is not always possible for most people, but uh, myself, I had custom-made bars at the gym, so they have an angled, a fat two-inch diameter angled grip instead of a straight bar, uh, simply because if you don't uh, compete in Olympic lifting or powerlifting or if you're not going to get tested on the bench press as an athlete, for most of us, there's not a huge reason to use a straight bar if you can avoid it simply because it's a little bit riskier. It's a little unnatural um, to use a straight bar, like if anyone listening to this right now kind of does like a mock military press and puts their hands up in the, in the bottom position, for most people you'll see that it won't be a straight line. Your hands will be angled in slightly. So then when you force them to connect through a straight line like that, it puts a little bit of undue stress on the on the, the wrists, the elbows, and that leads to the shoulders. Everything's connected, you know. Now that might not be a huge deal for everybody, but over time if you get strong, five, ten years down the line, that is going to add up. So Things like that, as you get older, you try to be more conscious of that and think about that. So I try to eliminate the straight bar um, and, whenever possible, use fat grips or custom-made fat handles on, on everything just because that is a lot safer on your elbows and your shoulders. And I, I know and have spoken with a lot of strongman competitors this year, <clears throat> just trying to do more research and, and find all this stuff out firsthand from a lot of these guys. And because they always have to press the axle bar and two-and-a-half and three-inch diameter bars in, in competition, they've gotten so used to it now that they notice such a tremendous difference that a lot of the guys I know, they say they won't even press with a regular bar or use a regular bar at all anymore because it's so stressful to their elbows in comparison to the fatter bars. And anyone listening, all you have to do is just try it one time. If you press dumbbells with a two-inch, if you're used to those pencil-thin grips that most gyms have, and you slap the fat grips on there or go to a gym that has custom-made uh, fat handles, you will notice an instant difference in, uh, in how your elbows and shoulders feel during the workout and the next day. And, I mean, people can prove this themselves right away. If you just grab a regular dumbbell and try to do farmer's walks with it, let's say you grab a 105-pound dumbbell and try to farmer's walk with it versus grabbing a 160-pound kettlebell, which has a, a, a fatter grip, you'll notice that it's actually easier to hold the fatter grip, which doesn't sound like it would make sense, but it just has to do with the length ten tension relationship and uh, just the way it kind of sits in your hand. <clears throat> um, so I guess those were, those were um, I guess, most of the changes. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I, I didn't cover. Um, I guess mobility and flexibility also uh, was something that I, I myself neglected. I just had everyone do it, but I personally neglected it too much. So I've made it um, a real goal to get a lot better at that this year, and I dedicate. I, I do at least a half hour a day every single day on that. It's part of my morning routine, you know, just like brushing my teeth and flossing. I absolutely force myself to do that every day, and I feel a thousand times better. My recovery is better. I could actually squat. Um, not that I squat heavy that much like I used to anymore, but I can do it deeper uh, with a lot less pain. Um, so that's been huge for me. Uh, trying to think what else. So, so the uh, you're not doing your mobility always right before you train 
it is doing it at any time of the day? Um, I do. Well, I've actually become so obsessed with mobility that there's so many different drills that I do. I mean, I have countless mobility drills, so I, I tend to break it up. I'll do some stuff. First thing in the morning, I just do I do stuff that doesn't involve spinal flexion because I, I just want to get a little risky first thing in the morning. But I do it just to force myself to do certain things first thing in the morning. So I'll do about 15 to 20 minutes. And then before I'm training, depending on what I'm going to do that day, I'll do another, um, you know, I'll do another maybe 8 to 12 mobility drills as well. So I end up getting at least a half hour of it in each day. And then before training, I might throw in some uh, dynamic stretching and, you know, certain activation drills as well. But the, the the other stuff is just part of my morning routine. Like before I even start working now, I'll just go through a whole um, a whole circuit. And that's just, you know, like I said, it's just like brushing my teeth now. All right. Nice. Uh, okay, what about, um, tell us about a little bit of the seminar that you did and how that went down. Um, yeah, the seminar was basically, I, I explained in more detail because we don't have as much time, obviously, all the, the changes that I've made this year and, and stuff like that and mistakes, whatnot. And then basically we uh, we had about 20 people flying from all over the country and, and Canada. And um, then most of it was hands-on because I, I didn't want to just make it a thing where I was just standing there speaking for hours on end. Um, so we did, uh, we, went, we went through all this stuff. So we, we spent a good hour or so on mobility drills, um, and a lot of people found it very eye-opening, and that was some of their, some people say it was their favorite part just because I guess most of us, you know, everyone wants to go in and lift. I mean, who wants to do mobility? But that's the kind of stuff that's probably the most important um, stuff. So, you know, and I use examples of people in the room and myself even. If, if we were going to uh, start playing a sport or get a, get a tryout with a team or something right now, there's a lot of guys there that compete in strongman, and they were far stronger than I've ever been. And, and even myself, what would help the most? Like some of these guys could barely touch their knees, so that mobility and flexibility would help them become a better athlete. And even me, really, that would make a bigger a bigger difference for me, and has made a bigger difference for me than just getting stronger at this point. So we went all all through the benefits of mobility and and tons of mobility drills from head to toe. We did every joint, probably did a couple different drills for every joint, and um, you know when when to do them and whatnot, and <clears throat> the optimal volume. Uh, and then we do the same thing with, with flexibility, a uh, couple different unique ways of stretching, kind of a stretch wave type deal that uh, uh, Ann Fredericks uh, teaches. And I went through some PNF stuff, some static stuff, you know, when to do those. So we spent a good hour or so on that as well. And then um, let me think what else we did here. Then basically we, we did we did all the big lifts um, because a lot of those guys were, were trainers, so they need to know how to coach the bench, even though we don't tend to use the flat bench press a lot. Um, we, we went through the whole setup and all that. And and then uh, then just basically all uh, all, all, all powered upper uh, upper and lower body power exercises, plyo push-ups, medicine ball stuff, jumps, a number of those, and then assistance work and, and progressions on some, some body weight exercises, like uh, progressions to one, one-arm push-ups, front levers, stuff like that. Yeah, so that seminar so that seminar was in Jersey, right? But you live out in California now? Where are you training out there? Um, I've been training a lot of days I actually train at the rings, uh, Muscle Beach, and then there's another gym uh nearby which is pretty good, it has has most stuff. And then we live about a block or so from Gold's Venice, which Jen is training there now. 
I'm gonna go there for a little bit in the meet, and you know that that'll just be to hold me over until uh, we eventually get a place going out here, which I, I guess will be sometime next year. And Jen is still stronger, fitter, and better looking than you. Uh, yes, everyone is. <laughs> Very nice. So, <laughs> so all this stuff, all this stuff you learned, and you got smarter this year. You uh, put together some programs at all this year? Some new, uh, new good stuff. Yep. Yeah, I put together uh, Uncaged has actually been a very popular program, which has a lot of the the progressions that I was talking about on the, as opposed to just going in and always, I was more of a West Side guy back in the days, and not that there's anything wrong with that, obviously, can't argue with the results, but just for the, the clientele I have and, and for certain things I wanted to do, we kind of backed off always working up to a heavy 1RM, um, and now I cycle uh, the maximal strength work, the big exercise a little differently. Um, so we have that. <clears throat> Uncaged has that kind of progression in there, as well as a. Um, uh, there's probably about three to five different unique bodyweight exercises that take you through a 16 week progression on those. And uh, in the inner circle, I've just, my 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 membership uh, group, I've been changing, uh, not changing, but just you know bringing out more and more new programs. We're gonna have a new one coming up here in uh, two weeks, January 1st, which will be. You know, incorporate all all the kind of stuff we just discussed with with the with the unique um, periodization schemes and, and progressions and all that. Uh, okay, so my question was going to be about remember when you trained Heisen? Like how? Uh, maybe tell us a, a briefly on how his program was back then, and what you would do now to change that program. You know, it's been like two years or something. What would you have changed in his program to? Keep getting him those awesome results, but you know, use the new style of renegade training. Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, let's see. Here. He was doing three days, so he was doing upper, lower, upper because he was he was running a few days a week as well. <clears throat> so really, I probably, I'm probably not uh, jogging. He was running sprints. Um, but yeah, he was. There was a park he found in Brooklyn that had a pretty pretty good hill, so he was doing hill sprints. Oh, uh, yeah, yep. But what I would have him do now is probably uh, if it, the, the diet would be a little bit different. Uh, first and foremost, uh, back then I'm trying to remember exactly what we had him. I think we had him. This is two years ago, so I was still doing a more traditional six meals a day type deal. We were, we were doing carb cycling, calorie cycling, but I would trim that down. I would even have. I would either have him use an intermittent fasting type approach, which I've, I have kind of my own unique spin on it that I've been using, or uh, just have more meals, I'm sorry, more time um, between meals. Uh, most people I'll have do one of those two. So we'll have, we'll have three meals a day, but there will be uh, five to six hours between each one. I am kind of just sit down with Sean and, and determine what, what approach uh, but I, I I found better success with those, and it just works better for you know most people don't have time to eat six meals a day or the desire. So with either either of those two approaches it ends up being three or four meals, usually three, maybe a maybe a, a workout shake or something like that. And then for the training, he's doing three days. I probably have him do four days. I mean, I probably definitely would have him do four days. The fourth day, um, just off the top of my head, we probably have him do another lower body day. Uh, he was doing upper, lower, upper. I'd probably throw another lower body day in there, but it wouldn't. Since he was running sprints a few times a week and squatting the other day, 
we would probably just that day would probably be more hip extension stuff, so as not to stress his knees as much. And uh, we wouldn't really want to stress his spine as much either, so it would probably be maybe single leg RDL, swings, glued hands, back raises, glute bridges, hip thrusts, uh, sled work, all that kind of stuff, and then abs and uh, whatever assistance work. But um, I just think that fourth day, if you're not killing yourself, and you're being smart and making all the changes I had previously mentioned, uh, definitely will help a little bit, you know. You, you're still getting an, an extra an extra day where you're just you're burning calories, you're building muscle, you know, you're getting a positive uh, uh, <clears throat> hormonal um, uh, changes. Um, so I, I think that would, that would be, you know, I'd have to sit down, obviously, and think about it all, but those would be just kind of the general changes that I would make to it off the top of my head. So, you know, a general question here for guys that want to get strong. Well, guys or girls stronger and and gain muscle. That's the, the like the focus. Where does the sprinting? Is it something that will help them? Is it something that is okay to do, or is it something will kind of get in the way? How do you do it right so uh, you can stronger and bigger and still sprint? Or do they even need to? Yeah, it depends. I, I think most people can do it. Um, in the past, I was kind of old school, um, you know, the old old super squats kind of uh, theory of of don't uh, don't run when you can walk, don't walk when you can stand, don't stand when you can sit down, that kind of stuff for, for skinny guys or girls looking to gain size. But I think that um, I think that doing doing some condition actually does enhance your results, and it makes it. It's a very rare person that doesn't have trouble gaining 10 to 20 pounds of muscle and staying lean at the same time. I mean, 18-year-old kids can do it, but after that, and unless you're a real genetic freak, most people, and I've worked with a ton of regular people, they do tend to end up getting getting fatter when they're trying to gain a lot of size. Even 10 pounds sometimes, you know, they're going to they're gonna get fatter. So I, I think it's smart to always do some kind of stuff like that, some high-intensity conditioning. Uh, definitely makes it better. It, it enhances your recovery. Your, not only between workouts, but your between set recovery gets better. You'll notice that when you start running sprints, your recovery, say if you're alternating uh, chin-ups and military presses or something like that, you, just in a few weeks you'll start to notice that between sets, your drop-off isn't as much, you're not breathing as heavy, you feel better. So your workouts actually get better. Your recovery between the workouts gets better. Uh, your overall health improves. You're able to eat a little bit more which you're going to need to for gaining that muscle without getting as fat. So I don't think – and then if you look at some of the most jacked guys in the world that most people would pay to have their physiques, NFL running backs or wide receivers or, or D-backs, I mean, they're all running sprints all the time. You just The one thing you don't want to be doing is jogging. That's going to kill you. But if you're running sprints, I would say um, it's going to have more benefit than any ne- negative effects, really. So let's say you, if you were lifting three days a week, and you ran sprints uh, two days, you're training five total days, and the sprint workouts are only going to be 20, 30 minutes. Uh, most people are going to be able to recover from that. If you really have recovery issues, then you could throw those sprint workouts in right after training. So you train 30 to 45 minutes, and then you're already warmed up at that point, so you don't need much of a warm-up sprint for 15 to 20 minutes, and you're good to go. What uh, type of sprinting should be doing? Should they just be doing hills, or... You know, is there is there something special about hill sprints, or is it uh, okay to do sprints on a treadmill, or is that 
maybe not the best idea because you're going a lot faster and you know you could hurt yourself. Um, well, the, the only reason that I pick uh, hill sprints first and foremost is just because it's, it's way harder to get hurt. I mean, if anyone's listening to this call and is in their 30s and hasn't uh, sprinted since high school, you, you know, the, the possibility of getting hurt is fairly good if you're not smart about it. You're going to want to take a few weeks to, to work up to it. And the first couple weeks, you're going to do so little that it's going to be boring, but you have to do that to be smart about it. So if you haven't sprinted in a while, yeah, you can do flat ground, but it's just that the angle that it puts you at when you're doing a hill sprint uh, greatly reduces the, the impact and, and the, the chance of injury. So that's why I recommend hill, hill sprints above all else. And then if you had a sled you could run with, either attached to a belt or if you're dragging it or you have your arms extended in front of you and have attached um, you know, rings or blast straps to it, uh, that's, again, that reduces the, the possibility of injury simply because it slows you down. Or if you were pushing the prowler, again, the, the angle of your upper body would be kind of similar to a wood on a hill. Um, if, if none of those are options, then, yeah, obviously your only choice is to run sprints on flat ground. Um, I'd rather be outside than on the treadmill. If the treadmill is your only option, you know, if you're in somewhere where it's all icy out during the winter, obviously that, that's better than nothing. So you can do that. But, again, work up to it very slowly. Start, you know, maybe 70% the first day and literally only do maybe three 40-yard sprints. And then that's, you know, that sounds like nothing, but you'd be surprised at uh, people who get injured doing that, you know, doing slightly above that the first day. So if you keep it keep it very minimal and then just work up over Don't be too eager. You know, you're not going to get down to 5% body fat in two weeks no matter what you do. So take it, take it slow and be smart. Because once you get injured, you're not going to be able to train, and then all your goals are out the window anyway. So... Just real slow, a couple sprints, see how your knees feel, see how your hip flexors feel, see how your, your hamstrings feel. You don't want to tweak, tweak or pull a hamstring or anything like that. Um, and make sure you're running with proper mechanics. You do not want to be heel striking. I see people who, who, who haven't sprinted in a while and they heel strike. That's the last thing you want to do. Make sure that the ball of your foot hits the ground and kind of paws like a bull and pulls the ground behind you. So you should be running pretty quietly. If you're just clogging along and I can hear you, you know, from two blocks away, you're going to get hurt as well. So work on running mechanics. Try to be quiet. Try to If you're running on flat ground, your heel should land directly beneath you, not way out in front of you when you're jogging. That's when you get that uh, impact that's just way too stressful on the knees and everything. So all those things are, are real important to consider. What, what about um, if you have a car? And your friend drives the car, and you attach the, you, yourself to the car like Mandelbaum. Uh, is that a good way to train? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's what you and I do when, when we're together. I, uh, yeah. That's a really good way. And then use okay. uh, use blood and for gas. Yeah, and if you're uh, uh, transporting blood, uh, where should you yep. transport the blood? The car. Uh, in the in the gas tank. You want to use it as, as fuel. Okay. All right. That's, yep. that's pretty good. Um, all right. What about the rest of 2011? What did you, uh, what was kind of some cool random things that you accomplished or trips you went on or anything you want to share with the readers and listeners that uh, they might want to check out? Maybe it's books you read, anything. Um, let's see here. Books I read, uh, some good books. You want just just fitness books or? 
Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, let's see. Some 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 good books are uh, Lights Out, uh, Sleep, Sugar, and Survival. I thought that was pretty good. I read The New Evolution Diet by Arthur Devaney. Um, what else? The Anti-Inflammation Diet. Um, let me see. Uh, the Coconut Oil Miracle by Bruce Fife. Uh, the Magnesium Miracle by Carolyn Dean. Uh, right now I'm reading Mastering Leptin. Um, let's see here. What else? The Cortisol Connection. Uh, the Thank You Economy by Gary V. Uh, what were some other good ones? I'm trying to just look through the books I have around here. Um, uh, Easy Strength, Dan, John, and Pavel. And then I, I'd actually mentioned to Craig uh, last time we spoke, which, I, again, I don't remember where I heard this advice from, um, but I've been rereading some some older books that, that were favorite books of mine just because um, I read this somewhere I thought it was a great piece of advice to that you should read instead of constantly, and I'm guilty of this, I'm always, it seems like every week I ordered another three to four books on Amazon, but um, you should, re instead of always reading new books, if you really want to learn a subject and, and kind of master it and get good at it and be able to recite it like the back of your hand, you should reread uh, some of your favorite books or some complex or some hard-to-understand books more often. You know, read a book three to four times until you really have it down. Like, you know, treat it as if you were in school and you, had, and you were going to be tested on, on the material. Uh, so I've been going back and rereading some uh, great books like that, whereas if you just read a book and the next day you start a new book, you tend to forget some of the, at least I do, some of the most important lessons that you learned from whatever the previous book was, and it kind of is just erased by the information from the new book. So that's been something I'm, I've been doing and I'm going to continue to do throughout 2012 is just um, go back through, through some books that I thought really made a big difference in my life and reread them just to make sure I haven't forgotten uh, some of the important lessons. Like I was, last time we spoke, I was telling Craig that I, I was rereading The Power of Love from uh, Leo Babauta, the, the Zen Habits guy. And there were definitely some, some habits and things in there that I had forgotten about and that I had slipped up on. So it got me right back on track and I kind of, you know, made some notes. And it um, definitely helped me be more productive again because some of that stuff, that's why they're called habits because you really have to force yourself to make them habits and, and anyone can slip up. So. Um, as far as the rest of 2011, what, um, what else did I do? I mean, I've basically been in California the whole time just trying to, you know, uh, establish connections out here. And so we, we've traveled, but it's, it's mainly been out here and just getting set up for the future and whatnot. Uh, I've been back and forth to Jersey a few times. The gym's been growing pretty well. Uh, I made some changes, which um, obviously it's, it's kind of difficult to run um, a gym if you're on the opposite end of the country. So I had to make some changes to the workouts, to the, the way we structured the gym, a lot of, a lot of business-related changes. And it, it's been trial and error, but I, I think we have it. And there'll still be some things, that, you know, that uh, will change as we go. But I think right now it's just on a pretty good path. And um, <clears throat> that's about all I could think of off the top of my head right now. That's cool. So uh, any plans or goals for your training or the business in 2012? Yeah. Um, well, what, what I told people at the seminar, and uh, some people came up that afterwards and, and told me that that was the biggest thing they took away. 
uh, when I said my goal for 2012 is not to get bigger, not to get stronger, no no numbers like that. My only goal is to feel significantly better than I do right now. And and if, if I do that, I'll be able to move a lot better and whatnot. And what's funny is I can I already do feel significantly better than I did five years ago and probably even ten years ago just because of my dedication to mobility and, and things like that. But uh, there's a lot of stuff I still need to work on and improve on. So I'm going to continue in that direction just because I've seen the positive difference it can make. I know I know there's a, a lot a lot of work I could still do, and I know that I want to lead from the front and be able to just you know uh, demonstrate this kind of stuff and help people my age and guys that are even older um, that are beat up from years of doing this stuff and neglecting the important stuff and, and, you know, just always going all out and lifting heavy. So that's really my my main training goal uh, right now. Uh, professionally, like I said, we're, we're I, w- I would have to say it's going to be this year that we're going to open up a place out here. So um, and then I have some other things. I have uh, three or four new magazines I'm going to be. Uh, well, I, I don't want to say for sure yet, but I've I've been contacted by it, which would be pretty big. Um, and then I have actually I have some pretty big name clients that I'm working with, who I can't really mention right now. But there's some um, yeah, there's there's some exciting stuff going. 2012 is going to be a great year. I'm actually uh, really excited for it. Awesome, man. Well, you are Batman. I am Batman. <laughs> All right, Jay. Thanks uh, for being on the call. Um, check you out at jasonfrugia.com. Uh, where, where can they get the Rampage program or the other one that you uh, mentioned that you said you created? Yeah, Rampage and Uncaged are both on there. Uh, what's crazy is I don't know the exact address, but if they just go there and they, they type in the search bar in the top right corner, if they type in Rampage or they type in Uncaged, they will find them in, in two seconds. Sweet, sweet. All right, LaRue, uh, you get ready for Festivus, and I'll be over there with some grievances soon. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, everybody, for being on the call. Thanks, Jay. This is Craig Ballantyne from TurbulenceTraining.com with another podcast. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye, everyone.